Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, Genesis, A New Perspective, we are trying to breathe fresh life into this ancient text that lays the foundation for the Christian Bible. Each week, we will be exploring different ways that these Genesis stories impact us and the world around us and our ways of understanding God. I hope you enjoy. As the father of two sons, I find the dynamic between my boys to be a fascinating thing to watch. It's totally new because the idea that they can play together and actually be friends is something that I didn't grow up with. I was the older brother to two younger sisters, so my role, at least as far as I understood it, was to make my sisters' lives as challenging and as difficult as possible. (laughs) My sisters were six and nine years younger than me, and so when I was 16, that meant they were 10 and seven. And at 16, you're just old enough to be able to come up with some extremely complex pranks that will scare them half to death. For instance, when my parents would go out to a party or on a date, they would leave me in charge to babysit my sisters, which looking back on it now seems like a horribly irresponsible decision (laughs) on their part, given that I could barely take care of myself. But hey, you get what you pay for, right? (laughs) So one night, my parents go out, and I invite a friend over. I call him up, I'm like, come on over, and I sneak him in to the basement. And so I'm upstairs, I'm putting my sisters to bed, and in the middle of that, he throws the circuit breaker in the house, turning off all the lights. And at that point, I think I said something like, that's strange, it's not storming outside. I hope this doesn't have anything to do with that escaped convict who's running around to people's houses and kidnapping them in their sleep. At this point, I'm about to leave the room when my friend has snuck back up the steps, and he kicks through the door, screaming at the top of his lungs, which of course in turn causes my sisters to scream at the top of their lungs, scarring them for the rest of their lives. It's amazing that my sisters turned out to be as semi-normal as they are, given everything that I put them through. But my, my boys, they're only two years and eight months apart. And this closeness and age can be both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in the sense that for my older son, Eli, having a younger brother means that he learns patience and sharing, and particularly that the world doesn't revolve around him. But for my younger son, Lucas, having an older brother means having a playmate 24-7. Lucas idolizes everything that Eli does. He wants to be exactly like him. But unfortunately, this desire can sometimes lead to conflict. So my older son, Eli, he likes playing with Brio trains. You know what those are, those great train sets. He likes to set it up, but then Lucas will crawl on over and he'll tear the whole thing apart. The most common phrase I hear in my house these days is, no, Lucas, don't do that. (laughs) On the flip side, when Lucas has something that Eli wants, Eli will just come over and snatch it out of his hand because he can. And then, of course, Lucas doesn't want to take that. He comes back, he goes over, and he tries to get it back, and I hear, no, Lucas, don't do that. (laughs) In the end, I hope that being in each other's lives is going to be a good thing because you hope that being together is going to turn them into the best of who God intended them to be. But I use that word hope because being in each other's lives does not necessarily guarantee a good outcome. I am sure all of you in here know people 
who have difficult relationships with their siblings. I mean, some of you in here might have difficult relationships with your siblings, and if you do, then you know that those can be some of the most challenging relationships to overcome in terms of divisions. And where I see divisions being the most deep are actually when parents are passing away and the possessions are being divided. At that point in time, when a parent is passing away, it's a tough thing because not only do you have to grieve the loss of the parent, but you also have the opportunity for all these old wounds to be opened up. Who gets what in an inheritance and who deserves more is always a very tricky question because every family member has a different opinion as to who should get what and expectations as to who should get what. Add into the mix family history, whether you have a good or bad relationship with your parents or your siblings, and you can very quickly understand how these types of situations can be a recipe for disaster. And what's sad to me as a pastor is that at a time when families should be coming together, setting aside their differences, the death of a parent can sometimes solidify family dysfunction for years to come. I've seen families at the death of a parent find that they decide they're not going to talk to each other for the rest of their lives. So the death of a parent can be, in some ways, a great blessing because it allows us to bind together as a family. But it can also be a corrosive curse because it can tear families apart. And today, what we're going to be talking about is the difference between blessing and curses in our lives and how you have a choice to determine which one it's going to be. Now, to start off with, we need to define these words blessing and curse because, honestly, we don't usually use these words very much in our culture today outside of the church world. So, a blessing is defined as a benefit or special favor that is shown to someone. But in the Bible, there's a more specific meaning to it. A blessing is when God shows special favor to an individual. And by contrast, a curse is when someone desires for misfortune to befall a certain individual. And in the Bible, a curse actually means that God is working against you and doesn't want to see the best things happen to you. Now, we're going to talk about whether or not these definitions are actually accurate a little bit later on. But for now, let's assume that they are because it has a lot to do with the scripture that we read for today. Now, I apologize for reading the whole scripture. Usually, I would actually cut it up to summarize it a little bit more, but everything in there is actually kind of important. It's hard to cut it up. So let me just give you a real quick synopsis of what happened in case you zoned out. I'm sure none of you did, right, while we were reading that. So what happens is Isaac is old. He's about to die. And so what he wants to do is he wants to give his blessing to his older son, Esau. He says, go out, catch some game for me. And when you come back, I'll bless you. Unfortunately, Esau's mother, Rebecca, hears this. And just so we're all on the same page here, it's Mother's Day, right? Moms, don't be like Rebecca in this instance, okay? She is not a good example of what a mother should be to her sons. But she hears this thing, and she decides she's going to set in motion a plan to have her younger son, Jacob, receive the blessing that's intended for the older son, Esau. Now, the way Jacob is able to achieve this ruse is because his father can't see very well. So his father primarily identifies people based on 
the sound of their voice, and their odor. Now, what you have to understand at this point in history is that people didn't bathe very much, and when they did bathe, they didn't use soap. I always talk to people, and people are like, I wish I could go back in time and see what that would have been like. And I'm like, actually, no, you probably wouldn't want to go back in time. You probably couldn't stand the smell. So he's got this problem. He needs to smell like Esau. So he puts on some of Esau's clothes, which has his smell, and then he places some goat's fur on his hand and his neck. He does this because Esau is a very hairy man. Jacob is not. And he knows his father's probably going to want to check and see. He puts it on his neck because when the blessing would occur, Isaac would have pulled his son close to his chest and put his hand around his neck. And so he needs to have fur there as well. Otherwise, he'll know it's not Esau. Well, Esau, he comes back from the fields. He's killed his stuff. And he comes in and gives it to his dad. And he finds out that his father's been tricked. Now, Isaac, for his part, is so upset about this that he shakes violently. The blessing that Isaac has given to Jacob now entitles Jacob to the primary inheritance, 80% of the household, plus, and more importantly, here, God is now going to favor Jacob over Esau. Esau then begs his father to give him a blessing, but the only thing he can offer is what seems like a curse. You shall serve your brother. Esau is so angry about this that he sets out to kill his brother, and his brother has to take off from his house. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, who cares? Like, why are these brothers so concerned about getting their father's blessing? I mean, obviously, they want the inheritance. That's tangible. But who cares about the blessing? Why does that make a difference to these guys? Well, to understand why this is the case, you have to understand how people at this point in history thought about words. The ancients had a very certain reverence for words because they believed words had special powers and a certain mystical quality behind them. They believed that by saying certain words, you could change how people thought, how people acted, even the outcome of somebody's life. They saw this because they could see a direct correlation between somebody speaking words and the impact it had on people's lives. And you all know what I mean, whether or not you realize it. So, words make us angry. They can make us sad. They can make you fall in love. They can make you excited. Words have the ability to change your life. You hear certain words that can change the total way that you perceive the world around you. The ancients believed that if you could master certain words and say them in a certain way, then you could control whole groups of people. In this way, words are far more powerful than physical strength. You ever been in a room where there's total chaos, and then somebody with a booming voice comes in and yells, Stop! Right at that moment, every single person in that room becomes totally silent, And that person with the powerful voice now commands the control of every single soul in that room without even lifting a finger. That's the power of words. And the ancients respected it far more than we do. This is why the ancients had so many prohibitions about words that you could and could not say. For instance, Orthodox Jews still to this day do not say the name of God when they're reading the scriptures. 
When they come to the name of God in Hebrew, they will use the word Adonai in its place, which means Lord. The reason why is because they believe the word or the name of God is the most powerful word in existence because behind that name is the power that created everything in the universe. So they don't say it because they want to show reverence for that name, and they also want to be reminded about how much less they are in contrast to God's greatness. Now, they held the same reverence for curse words. In our culture, curse words are simply crude or offensive language that we use in polite company. But for them, it was far more than that. Curse words could actually curse you. So if somebody uttered a curse against you, you could live the rest of your life rejected by God. And this is why they had so many taboos around saying curse words. Now, here's the interesting thing. A curse word or a curse only stuck if the authority of the person giving the curse was great enough. So let's say you're walking down the street and somebody walks out and they curse you. Well, that doesn't really matter because the person doesn't have any authority. But let's say the person doing the curse is a priest, a leader, the head of a community. Then all of a sudden, those words hold a lot more weight. And the curse would stick with you because they believed that God listened to the words of people who had authority far more than just the average person. And the same is true for blessings. The more important the person, the greater the chance that that blessing will affect you. And this is why Jacob and Esau are so concerned to get their father's blessing because they believe that those words can literally change the trajectory of their lives. Now today, we don't think of words the same way as Jacob and Esau, do we? I mean, the only time you hear somebody use the word blessing is maybe they say, oh, you're such a blessing in my life, or God bless me with this or that, right? Now in those instances, what is that saying? All that's saying is it's an insert word for fortune or luck. And we're saying, I was fortunate, I was lucky, but I'm attributing that to God. So the biblical intention behind these words, it no longer has any standing in our culture. I mean, do you all really believe that if I say a certain combination of words that I can influence whether God is going to accept you or reject you? I wish I had that power. That would be awesome, particularly when I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off. I'll be like, oh, buddy, you don't know who you just messed with. I curse you. They're done for the rest of their lives. <laughs> no. We can't do that. Nobody can. And so the way that these words are presented in the Bible, not relevant to us anymore. But I want to try to help make them relevant in a different kind of way for us today. And it has to do with the events that have shaped your lives. Now let me explain to you what I mean by this. If you've grown up in a situation where things have been good for you, where things just seem to have fallen into place, then it can feel as though God is looking out for you, as if God has a plan for your life. And though you may not know what that plan is, you trust, even if you go through bad times, then in the end, it's all going to work out for the best. Now, that's the concept of blessing in our culture. However, if you've grown up and your life has been difficult, if you've grown up in challenging circumstances, if you've made decisions that have haunted you for the whole of your life, then it can feel like you've been rejected by God. Whatever plan God had for you, it's been full of hardship and difficulty 
and challenges. And you sit there and you say, ah, I don't know if it's going to work out in the end. Because ultimately it hasn't worked out in the short term either. That's the concept of curse in our culture. Now, I personally tend to stray away from this idea of God having a plan simply because if your life has been good, then the plan's great. If your life has been bad, and I've actually spoken to people and said, oh, God, I've said, God has a plan for your life. They're like, really? Because my entire life has been really, really awful, and I don't really like the God who has a plan for me. And so this is challenging. So what I want to do is I want to reframe the last thing I'm going to do this morning with two stories to help you understand a new way of thinking about blessings and curses. Because I believe that these two things are interchangeable, that some blessings are curses, some curses are blessings. One story is going to be from the Bible. The other story is going to be from my own life. So the first story, very quickly, what we read today. Jacob goes in to get the blessing from his father, right? He goes in, but what he has to do is he has to be deceitful. So he ends up getting cut off from his family. And as we will see in future sermons, getting cut off from his family, he ends up suffering a great deal. What he thought would be a blessing ends up being a curse. Likewise, Esau, he ends up getting cursed by his father. But when he runs Jacob out of town, he actually gets to spend time with his dad, who he loves. And so now he can be with his dad, not have Jacob around, and really enjoy his life. So what started off as a curse ended up being a blessing. Both boys saw it one way when it happened. It ended up being very different in the long run. And so what I want you to understand is that blessings and curses are all about the perspective that you bring to them. When I was growing up, I grew up in some challenging circumstances, difficult circumstances. And as I grew up, I came to feel as though I had been cursed by God. And I was angry that God had placed me in this situation. But when I became an adult, I came to realize that all the challenges I had been through as a child ended up being a blessing to me because now, as a pastor, I'm able to speak to people and empathize with them in their circumstances, and I can help them in ways that I never could have helped them had I not been through all that difficulty when I was younger. And so I have come to this conclusion that everything bad that happens in our life no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, can be used for good. At the time, you may not feel that's the case. I can tell you, when I was growing up, there was nowhere on my radar did I think that anything I was going through, that it was going to be beneficial in the end. But it has. I've been able to serve people in amazing ways. And so what I've realized is that the essence of blessing is not having the good life. It's not being successful. The essence of blessing is being able to transform your curses into blessings. So as you leave here today, what I would like for you to do is I want you to reflect on all of the challenging relationships that you had with your friends, your siblings, with your spouses and your children. And I want you to think about all the challenging things that have happened in your life. Because I think that God calls each one of us to use those challenges to serve other people. But the only way that can happen is if you allow God to turn your curses into blessings. May it be so in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.